This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome back to the Canadian Investor Podcast. I'm here with Dan Kent with one of our Thursday episodes. We'll be talking about earnings and news for those who are new to the show. Before we get started, we will talk about some news, but non-investing news. The talk that made uh, headlines pretty much everywhere in Canada and the U.S. The Blue Jays were in the running for signing Shohei Hotani. For those who are not well-versed in baseball, He's basically a unicorn. I mean, you hear that term a lot where special players, well, he's a very special player because typically in baseball, when you start as a kid and I played a lot of competitive baseball, the best players will tend to be really good pitchers and hitter. But then as you progress and those that really make it all the ways to the big leagues, you narrow your craft down. So you either become a really good hitter and you play in the field and you stop pitching or the other way around, you only focus on pitching and then you don't hit anymore. And the reason why Otani is so special is that he does both at a very high level. He's essentially a top pitcher, but also a top hitter all in one. And he's kind of he's famous worldwide, very popular in Japan, his home country. And the Blue Jays, along with the LA Dodgers, were really in the running for signing him. Unfortunately, uh, the Blue Jays and Rodgers did not manage to sign him. Ended up signing, I think it was a 10-year, 700 million 700, contract. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I can't remember if it was 10 or 12 years, but nonetheless it was 700 million dollars, a lot of money and uh, he's going to stay in California. He was previously with the LA Angels. Were you following Twitter? I mean, people were Did you see the thing about people were looking at private flights? from LA to Toronto and there was one that they thought Shohei Otani was on before I had actually got out that he was signing with the Dodgers and it turned out to be that the flight was actually Robert um Hurt, anyways the guy from the, the guy Dragons, from Dragons Den. Den, yeah 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 and his family that were coming from LA to Toronto that's how great they had like the air traffic controllers say like welcome or something didn't I watch something like that it was ridiculous yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, but from an investing perspective, I mean, from Rogers, it would have been such a like he's such a special player that just the marketing that would have been able to do around him and the jersey sales and all the marketing around like all their offerings. But not only in Canada, but in Japan and the U.S. Yeah. around the world, most people were saying that even at six, seven hundred million dollars it would actually be a bargain and people were comparing that to their contract with the NHL that apparently is not doing quite well with for Sportsnet. No, I mean like just in terms of just the overall salaries, like when you look at it just shows you like how much bigger baseball is compared to the NHL. Like you look at him who gets a $70 million a year contract and then you look at a guy like McDavid or McKinnon who are like the just elite athletes in the NHL and they're making 12 and a half, I think 12 and a half, 12.6. So not even close. Like that's, that's a crazy amount of money. But I mean, I think I have a bunch, I don't follow baseball much at all. Like if I were to watch it, it would probably be the blue Jays, but I have a lot of blue Jays uh, fans of my family. So they were going pretty crazy over this for a while. <laughs> and it was just like somebody, somebody messed up calling that early. I can't even remember the reporter, but he came out with like an apology but yeah, that uh, it was pretty interesting on Twitter for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I and apparently Shohei Otani is a very private person, so it was very doing all of this in secrecy. And I honestly admire that because yeah. um, you see a lot of people that want to be famous and stuff like that. And I don't know about you, Dan. Before, like, I know we're a little bit off track here, but. I value my privacy and I see those paparazzis for celebrity sell with uh, famous people. Sorry, I'm having trouble with uh, <laughs> the words right now. I do not envy them no matter how rich they are. Like to me, the privacy part is worth way more than what amount of money they can make. I don't know if you're kind of that same thing oh, or you, know, you don't have yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. You're like that too. So yeah. anyways, congrats to Shoei. I think he'll, uh, you'll do pretty well. 70 million a year. And yeah, uh, right. best of luck in LA. Yeah, hopefully the Jays can uh, can can win next year despite that. But uh, now we'll get started 
First news item, the Bank of Canada announced that it was maintaining rates at 5%. So Tiff McLean didn't have a press conference, but there are some key points that they mentioned in the press release that I'll go over. First, they said the global economy continues to slow and they expect the U.S. economy to slow in the coming months. The U.S. dollar has weakened against other currency. They didn't state this explicitly, but it w- this would put a downward pressure on inflation if the U.S. dollar weakens against the Canadian dollar because a lot, you know, people might think, oh, yeah, of course, the trade we do with U.S. and Canada, that makes sense for things we import. But it's more than that because the international trades, because the U.S. is the dollar currency, if Canada, you know, a company does business with a company in Africa, for example, they will probably not want Canadian dollars. So they'll probably end up doing business in US dollars. So that's something uh, it does impact a lot of imports, not just the ones coming from the US. They also mentioned higher rates are clearly restraining the consumption in Canada. I would say thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) But you know, that's what they said in their press release. Energy prices are lower than expected and contributing to lower inflation. And I think that was a good point because I don't think anyone would have seen the price of oil at, at the current level right now. I think it's in the, what, the low 70s, high 60s, I would say. It's definitely dipped quite a bit. And even like even gas prices here are crazy. Like I think I think you can fill up at Costco here today for like under a buck 10. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Yeah, we we need premium, so maybe it's a buck thirty, but still, still not too bad. Canada's economic growth has stalled, with GDP declining one point one percent in Q three on an annualized basis. The labor market continues to ease, with job creation being slower than labor force growth and vacancies trending down. For a little bit of context here, I wanted to provide that that was not from their press release, but job vacancies are actually down twenty percent since peaking. In Q2 of 2022. That's compared to Q2 of 2023, which is the latest data that we have. For additional context, the latest job vacancy rate was 4.6% and it peaked at 5.9% in the same respective quarters. In 2019, the job vacancy rate was in the low 3%. So we're still a ways off, but we're definitely starting to trend there. For those not familiar, the job vacancy rate is the number of vacancies compared to all available jobs. So vacant plus occupied jobs. They also mentioned that shelter price inflation has increased with higher rents and increased uh, mortgage costs for homeowners. They are now more sign, according to them, that monetary policy is moderating spending and relieving price pressure, which is why they decided to keep the rate at 5%. But they definitely yeah. snuck in one last sentence in here that they could hike rates if it is needed they always have to do that it's kind of funny like basically 95 percent of the whole press release is like well you know it's working and this is restraining and blah 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 like all these points that are supporting the same argument and then the last phrase but we could we could jack again yeah rates we could jack them up if uh, we see the need to so i thought that was interesting and i just wanted to provide a little bit more context with that the job vacancy there but uh I mean, that was widely expected. I think the market was almost pricing that 100% that they would keep rates flat or stable. They would be unchanged. So nothing too surprising there. Anything else you wanted to add, Dan? No, I mean, I think it would look pretty crazy if they kept raising when GDP <laughs> declined one yeah. 1.1, or it was 1.1 on an annualized basis, but still any decline, really. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been saying it essentially since since the summer when we've started Canadian retailers and Canadian companies like towards the end of Q2 they started announcing or saying that while we saw like quite a shift in spending from consumers for me that was a clear sign that this was coming the banks for whatever reason the central banks have a hard time looking at earnings from companies that are really good bellwether uh, for the economy So they kind of wait and wait, but I think that was pretty obvious at the time and we're starting to see it. Like I'm not a macro analyst or anything like that, but I listen to what companies that have a pulse on the economy, on oftentimes certain sectors of the economy were saying, and they were all saying the same thing. And now we're starting to see it in the more aggregate data. Well, the one interesting thing is the mention of 
you know, they expect the U.S. economy to slow, but the U.S. economy, I mean, I think unemployment was what, 3.7% and they, they blew away like the jobs report the last while here. So, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't look like the U.S. economy is slowing anytime soon. And I think when we talk about uh, Lululemon, even in ter- when you compare that to like a smaller cap here in terms of Aritzia, like who still has, you know, 50% exposure to Canada, I think you can tell the Canadian economy is struggling much more. In terms of the shelter price, I don't know if you've seen this, but they had the hotels in Toronto were offering better prices than rent. So you could go, you could go get a month at a hotel, and it would be cheaper than the cost of rent. And I mean, that's interesting. Your room is cleaned, your bed's made yeah. every day. Yeah, it's uh, the situation there is getting pretty crazy. Yeah, and I mean, I think we're going to see the U.S. economy slow down. I, I I think you're starting to hear from companies when you listen on earnings call, like what we were hearing a bit earlier in the year from Canadian companies, you're starting to yeah. hear it now. And I was listening to a couple of uh, videos on YouTube uh, last night from... I don't know if you have heard about it. So Jeff Snyder of um, Eurodollar University, and he had a video with Macro Alf, who's pretty well known on Twitter. And they were looking, they're very good at macro. They really know what they're talking about. And the long story short here is they were saying that a lot of people think the US may do a soft landing. But I think a lot of people tend to miss the point where, you know, it's not the economy never goes into a gradual linear path. It's much more unpredictable than that. Yeah. So we may look like it's a soft landing right now, but typically things will happen where it looks like it's leveling off and then a little bit more down the line, you have a sharp drop off. And they did a very lengthy video really well explained and essentially saying that you know a recession is most likely coming. The fact that it still hasn't happened yet, a lot of people are saying that because it hasn't happened, it won't happen. And that's a dangerous conclusion to make. So we'll have to see whether they're right or not. But it was uh, really interesting. I encourage people to, to look that up if they're interested in this kind of stuff. So we'll move on to our next point here. You want to, this is a good one. I actually haven't had the chance to look at the video. So I'm going to be listen, listening yeah. in well. So you want to talk to us about what Google or good old Alphabet did? Yeah. So they essentially came out with a kind of a highlight on their AI platform, which is Gemini. It's kind of a competition to chat GPT. So initially the video was pretty mind blowing. Like they would have... So they would have a person in the video, he would draw a picture of a duck and the AI would respond and say like, oh, that's a duck. Or they would put a piece of paper under a cup and play the game, you know, where you have three cups and you rotate it and you could do it as fast as you can. And the thing would still be able to tell where the ball of paper was. And another thing they did, some guy drew like two cars going down uh, a hill on sticky notes and he changed the slope on each of the hills and it the ai could tell like which one would travel faster so like it it went off i think google stock was up like five six percent after this video came out but then you know it kind of circulated that it was edited by google and google was actually feeding the ai text prompts to get it to say what it what it (laughs) wanted it to say and then like it kind of had to play like it had it, it had to backtrack and Google said, you know, this was never meant to be a full demo on on what it is doing. Instead, it was supposed to be an illustrative demo on what it could do once it was ready. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it's coming off like I have a pretty big position in Google. And even to me, this like comes off as a little desperate. Like right now, they're way behind Microsoft in terms of overall AI and this kind of seems to me like they're trying to play catch up but like I don't know it it looks really bad on Google yeah didn't they like mess up when they released Baird too didn't they like show like they asked him a question gave or the wrong asked answer, it yeah. a question and it gave the wrong answer yeah. and that was their video <laughs> yeah. so I don't know like I mean I used to own Google I don't own it because I just sold it to buy an index fund and it's yeah. obviously heavily weighted in the index fund but yeah, I don't know. They, they, they sound like they need a better PR team or a comms team because my god, they really are good at you know messing that up, creating some hype, and then <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know and how. Mis- how do you not think you're going to get caught doing that? I mean, even if you never got caught, even if that video was like you know everybody thought it was authentic, like 
when it actually comes out and it can't do these things, like you, you look even worse. I mean, I think they will catch up to Microsoft eventually, uh, whether it happens now or a year down the line. That depends. I mean, Google, like on a valuation basis, Google is much cheaper than Microsoft. Mostly it's for a few things. I mean, Microsoft is so subscription based, whereas Google is ad based, which is, is fairly cyclical. And just Microsoft is so far ahead in terms of Google, in terms of AI, and it's such a larger portion of the company and growing much faster. But this wasn't a good look for Alphabet at all. (laughs) No, I think they'll be okay. But no, I agree with you. Definitely was not a good look. We'll move on here to the news that Spotify is uh, laying off 17% of its global workforce. They cited the need to be profitable. They also parted ways with their CFO in the process. And some people were surprised. But to me, and I don't know about you, to me, that's not a surprise at all. I mean, as much as I love the product or the services, Spotify has not shown that it's actually that good of a business to be honest like it's not been profitable since it's been public in 2018 they have generated some free cash flow but again it's been a lot of it's been offset by share dilution so the free cash flow per share has not been great either and the share count like i said growing annually at a rate of 1.61 percent and since going public Spotify is up 22% while the S&P 500 is up 91%. So um, were you surprised by this? I really wasn't. Uh, what's your thought on this? Well, the one thing that was interesting to me in terms of the the layoffs, and I actually like I looked up a piece this morning. So Spotify has, I think they said 9,500 employees and about 12 billion in revenue. And then you look at a company like Netflix has... 32 billion, 33 billion in revenue and has like 12,000 employees. So I'm not really like, I'm not sure what Spotify needs like this large of an employee base to do. I mean, it seems like it's a pretty simple business, but it's difficult to understand like how they can't become profitable. I mean, they still have negative operating margins, I think. And I think they've tried to, they've kind of said their guidance is to grow gross margins up to 35 or 40%, but they just can't get it above 25%. And it just seems to me like maybe the artists kind of have this company in a bit of a stranglehold and they can kind of demand whatever they want in terms of royalties, which could get quite difficult for a company like Spotify. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, the podcast segment of it has to be pretty profitable, I would think, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and for those uh, on Join TCI, I'm showing the revenues and then the net income from Spotify. It goes back to pre going public, but still, I mean, you see revenues are increasing nicely, but it's not translating into profits. And that's the biggest takeaway here. And we've talked about this before and i mean when interest rates are super low there might be a demand for these kind of businesses that are growing revenues quickly but uh, not profitable but i think now with higher rates there is more and more demand on seeing businesses being profitable and i think they're they're probably trying to achieve that we'll see if they they have if it affects the service or whatnot but it's probably you know unfortunately for the people impacted it's probably a step in the right direction because yeah it just hasn't pan out and i know brayden's not here he used to own it sold it because again he thought that they could unlock those margins and it just has not happened yeah, I think they've promised it for a few years now, but they just can't can't seem to do it. And I mean, they have a lot of member growth, which is kind of one of those like fancier numbers, but really doesn't mean anything if you can't turn it into profitability. And I think I think something like half of their members are are free. Like I pay for it mostly because I forget I have it. I don't really use it too, too much. I mean, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to are available for free on YouTube, so I can listen to it there. I don't listen to much music on there, but... um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, for me, I... I I've had it for a long time. We have like the family subscription for my wife and I. So it's relatively cheap for both of us. She uses it more for music. I use it more for podcasts. But like you said, I could probably get most of the podcasts. Like one that I couldn't would be the Joe Rogan experience. Um, I don't listen to all the episodes, but I will listen to some every now and then if I like the topic or while the the person being interviewed. But uh, we'll see. It'll be interesting a year from now if we really see... um, you know, them turning a profit or not. So I guess on that, we'll move on to more of the earnings section here. 
So this one, really interesting. You referenced that a little bit. So Lululemon uh, released their Q3 2023 earnings, and it was quite good. Actually, interesting. I don't know if you noticed that uh, they released it at night. I can't remember the... Um, so it was after market, and then the stock was down like 5% after market, after the earnings release. Then was only down a couple percentage. Well, I mean, it was only down maybe 1% or 2%. And then the next day, the stock ended up having quite quite a good day. So that's always interesting. And I think it's a good reminder for people that after markets, it can be pretty wonky because there's some limited volume there too. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you see uh, Yeah. Did you see that or no? I didn't notice that. No. But a lot of the times too, is you can get something said in the conference call that ends up sending the stock price up or down. Yeah. It all depends. I mean, I would never focus on pre-market or aftermarket numbers especially like on canadian stocks it gets particularly thin like if you look up like u.s traded or u.s listed canadian tickers sometimes they'll show big moves in the pre-market or aftermarket after earnings but then you'll look at the volume and there's like 600 shares traded so i think it's pretty important (laughs) to uh understand that it's like razor thin volume most of the time on canadian stocks at least yeah no and that's a really good point now lululemon their net revenue was up yeah, I think I got that wrong. So I that's, put 49%. I was looking at that. I was like, that yeah, is Yeah, that's massive. not the right amount. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I double definitely put the wrong number there. So it was up. If you want to look that up, I think it was up in the 17, 18% range. I did a typo. <laughs> so I do apologize. I do apologize for that. It was up 12% in North America and 49% internationally. So I think I just uh, by accident put the the same number twice. 15%. 15%. Okay, yeah. I was around there. Yeah. So apologies for that. Comparable sales were up 13%. Comparable store sales were up 9%. And direct-to-consumers were up to 18%. Direct-to-consumer as a percentage of all sales represented 41%. And that was actually flat compared to last year. Gross margins were up 110 basis point to 57%. Operating margins were down 370 basis point to 15.3%. However, that was impacted by a one-time write-off of the mirror acquisition. I think now it's fully written off because they did write it off as well in the previous quarter. So I think they should be good now. But if you kind of remove this from the operating margin. So that write-off, it's actually only down the operating margin by 30 basis points. So um, pretty stable there. So it's kind of nice to see in this current environment. And to continue on that mirror theme, the company will no longer um, um, offer the product and they will also no longer produce content for its Lululemon Mirror Studios. And they've entered in a partnership with Peloton for digital fitness content, where Lululemon will be their primary athletic apparel partner. So definitely makes a whole lot of sense. That was actually announced a while back for the Peloton partnership. And to me, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, Peloton still has, I think, a decent brand, uh, even though the, the stock has been down quite a bit. Well, yeah, a lot. like something like 90%, if not 95% since the peak. But I think it's still pretty widely used and will probably have a decent uptick, especially for the winter months for people who, uh, who use it. And they opened 14 new stores in the quarter. Inventories seem to be stabilizing with a decrease of 4% year over year. They repurchased $210 million worth of stock during the quarter. And they slightly increased their guidance for 2023 fiscal year as a whole. And when I say slightly, when I did the calculation, it was like 0.4% increase <laughs> compared to what they were previously guiding. So I'm like, it's yeah, not really... Yeah, it's a headline boost. But overall, for for Lululemon, I think uh, just a really solid quarter, especially as retailers or some retailers are starting to see shift in consumer spending. Their consumers seem to be pretty strong. And I was actually watching a video and it was on Yahoo Finance and the interviewer, I mean, they clearly don't know too much about the fashion space because the interviewer was asking this analyst like, oh, you, you know, Lululemon seems to be uh, doing quite well in the aspirational space compared to an LVMH or a company like that. I'm like, they're not in the same category yeah. 
at all like lvmh you're looking at like high luxury things where lululemon i mean it's more expensive than a lot of clothes you can get but apparently they did a, a lot of surveys and most people that buy lululemon actually do it because they like the quality of the clothes and are are happy to pay a little bit of a premium for that and i wear a lot of lululemon and that's the main reason like i will pay a bit more for it because they last four five six seven years so i'm ready to pay more for a hoodie or something else because i know it'll last and that they're comfortable they wash well and you know when you make the calculation you probably end up saving money because you don't have to buy a new shirt every like year and a half two years because it's you know it's no longer black it's like a, a washed off gray yeah. or whatever it is right yeah it's not like the american eagle shirts where the neck is all worn out and like the shirt's fading away after like not even a year but yeah, yeah. they have like they have a crazy strong brand and like a crazy high quality uh product i actually didn't know about this mirror thing yeah. until this morning but that that's pretty bad like terrible acquisition they bought yeah. that at absolute peak covid like i remember like when they acquired it, i remember looking back like in 2020 because the gyms had all shut down so we were looking at buying gym equipment for our basement and the yeah. price of gym equipment was absolutely absurd like just if you could get yeah your hands on it yeah yeah, yeah if you could even find it like facebook marketplace people wanted we're looking at like 50 bucks for a 25 pound <laughs> dumbbell like it was yeah. absolutely insane so i mean they bought a startup in the midst of a lockdown hype i guess like is it completely written off like there's yeah i think it's pretty left. if it's not it's very close because yeah. um, they wrote off um, a much larger chunk i think at maybe one or two quarters ago i think it was earlier this year i'm just going on memory so i think it's pretty close to being fully written off i would think so especially if they're going out of the business pretty much completely yeah. at this point so i mean they can definitely afford it it's a yeah. company like obviously you don't like to see that but um you know it's in the rear view mirror at this point no pun intended and you know i think going forward they have a really solid business a uh, really strong growth internationally and i think you know i've said it before and i I'm going to repeat myself, but I think they're they're in another category now where in terms of fashion, they've really they've really shown that they can stand the test of time. There's not many companies that are in that category because you see fashion companies that will do well, but then it's, you know, in a few years from there, they're not really. Yeah, they just fizzle you out. Know, they just fizzle out. Um, very few end up in that you know, in that Lululemon or even Nike type of sphere where they can stand the test of time. And I'm going to go ahead and say, like, obviously Nike has been around way longer, but I think a Lululemon is starting to enter that level now. And they're still growing quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So now enough with fashion. We will move on to uh, some more banks in case people weren't satisfied with yeah. our recent episode on bank earnings. We'll actually look at some smaller Canadian banks on this. So I think it'll be interesting just to see the differences between the big Canadian banks or the big six. I think we've talked about all of them except National Bank. But we'll be looking at a Canadian Western Bank, Equitable Bank, which is obviously EQ Bank, one of our sponsors. And then we'll also be be looking at Laurent the tire fire that is yeah. Laurentian Bank. So do you want to get us started with EQ Bank or Equitable Bank Earnings? Yeah, so they pretty much continue to be one of the best performing banks in the company or in the country. Um revenue and earnings both beat expectations by by quite a bit. Uh, it was a bit of a weird quarter for the company because they're changing their fiscal year end. So it used to be in January and now they're pulling it back to October. So this fourth quarter is actually four months worth of earnings and it's like they won't have a Q3 2023. It's it's a bit weird. Oh, okay. I'm not exactly sure. So they're sure. going to be aligning with the big banks, yeah. I think. Yeah, I yeah, think I so. Yeah, I think that's what they're, yeah. They yeah, just kind of want to get in banks, line. Yeah, no, that makes, I mean, probably makes sense just to, to be able to compare them to uh, to those banks. Yeah, Obviously, exactly. Obviously, completely different model, but yeah. So it, it yeah, it's just like this is four months worth of earnings and then I think they compare it to four months like when you're looking at year over year numbers they're comparing it to four months worth of earnings last year I'm not exactly sure on that okay. but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what they did 
Book value per share is $70.33 with it, which is 12% growth. And they have assets under management of 111 billion now, which is 8% growth. And they finally cracked the 400,000 customer mark, which is actually pretty crazy because I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'm pretty sure in 2019, they had like 90,000 customers. So they're seeing some insane customer growth, 30% year over year. And uh, even myself, I swapped Equitable at the start of the year. So me and my wife went in to get a joint account at a bank that I bank with here in Alberta. And it was such a pain to actually get it set up. I started looking at other banks and I found Equitable and I, I had a joint account set up in like 10 minutes. So instead of filing yeah. like all these documents and all this paperwork and visiting the branch, I just had to send my wife an email and she just clicked the button. And then she, we were, we had a joint account. So I moved that, my checking, and pretty much I just run off of a credit card and then pay the credit card off with my equitable bank. And even the, the EQ card's pretty good, especially for ATM withdrawals. They'll refund it yeah, yeah. anywhere in Canada. They'll refund the ATMs. So I think for this reason, like there's a large influx of customers who are earning pretty much nothing at uh, traditional banks and they're kind of gravitating towards equitable for the most part, I think due to these savings and checkings accounts, like even me, I'm noticing a $200 a year swing in my banking fees. So I used to pay like 13 bucks a month and now I'm I'm earning like probably 70, 80 bucks a year just having money sitting there. Yeah. Unless you kept what, $5,000 in the account at all time, then they would uh, yeah, wait then they the would fee. That's, the usually, fees, yeah. that's usually what they do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as soon as like we, we bank our, our business banks with a major institution and as soon as Equitable gets business accounts, I'm out of there so fast. It's, it's not even going to be fun. Like we still get charged for e-transfers with our business yeah, yeah same for us yeah yeah i mean it's uh it's so painful dealing with the big banks yeah it just they really want to make you want to switch as soon as there is a better product yeah. available yeah but i'm with them too from a personal basis did the same thing with my wife for a joint account super easy um same thing with the eq bank card um it's really easy to use you can use it pretty much I haven't had any issues to use it so and you still collect i think two and a half or three percent whatever it is right now yeah, kind of forgot, but I think it's three. Yeah, it's uh, so yeah, two and a half percent, and then I think if you set up direct deposit, they'll bump it to three. That's right, and then okay, uh, you get it. half a percent cash back. Yeah, and I think that's that shows that if you have a good product, people will switch. Yeah. But I guess I'm sure the big banks will complain to the regulators uh, to OSFI. Yeah, the office exactly. of the uh, superintendent of financial institution for those uh, not familiar with the acronym and i mean i'm i don't know i i i think people can know by now i'm not a big fan of the big six so um yeah go on sorry <laughs> yeah. I, I went on a little bit of no, a rant there i'm not exactly sure what they could do with equitable but i don't know who knows the big banks you know they tend to always win it does have some uh competition from the deposit end from places like well simple but it does have a much larger uh, suite of products. But the one thing people need to distinguish is that the bank is very deposit heavy. And that's what's causing the vast majority of the growth. So their actual personal lending only grew 1%. So it pretty much highlights the difficulty in terms of Canadians and the lending. But in terms of their like accounts... So their savings accounts, things like that, and the GICs, they typically offer much higher GIC rates than the big banks. So a lot of this is what is driving the growth. And that's why you see huge growth in deposits and not necessarily in lending. No, I think that's no, that's a really good point. And I mean, it's it's definitely a different model than the big banks. And uh, for those who haven't noticed yet, Dan and I are still a bit sick. Dan's coughing yeah. and I'm just talking from my nose. So um, at least, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a little different experience. But uh, anything else to add on EQ Bank before I move on to uh, Canadian Western Bank? No, the only thing I would say is that it does expect loans to slow down. So it's guiding to 8 to 12% growth. However, it does expect customers to still grow at a 30 to 40% clip, which is uh, pretty much probably due to the attractiveness of its um, checking accounts, savings accounts, GICs, and not necessarily the overall lending. So again, it's it's pretty deposit heavy. I think that's important for a lot of people to understand and you could potentially see a slowdown in the future 
you know, if the big banks start to offer more or maybe if rates come down and the GICs aren't quite as attractive, it might see a slowdown in this regard. But this is still probably uh, my favorite favorite bank in the country for sure. No, no, I think that's a good breakdown. And I think in the loan, loans not growing as quickly, I think that's that's normal. So for people not fully, um, you know, that haven't looked at financial institution, I researched them in the last couple of weeks a little bit because we did a lot of bank earnings and looking back at past recessions i mean that's pretty typical from banks in generals their loan books will tend to go down during periods of uh, during recession periods so they tighten the credit they tighten their requirements and it's pretty consistent the loan books actually goes down so obviously eq bank is still a bank that's growing so i'm not surprised to see that the the growth is a going to be a bit smaller there because that's in line with what we typically see from banks in these kind of environments where for them they're obviously more established so it's not the same kind of thing but it's uh it usually goes from you know growing their loan book to a declining loan book in general um so i just wanted to mention that now we'll move on to a bank that Dan forgot existed, yet um, the majority of it, uh, yeah. or a big chunk of its business, is in Alberta, where Dan <laughs> is from. So that's uh, that's pretty funny. So this is Canadian Western Bank. Uh, they mostly have their branches, like I said, out west, um, and Ontario the, is the other place. So, or their business, should I say, in terms of the total loans that they do. So thirty-two percent is BC, thirty percent Alberta, twenty-five percent Ontario. And then you have like essentially peanuts in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Quebec, and then even less in the Atlantic region. They are growing relatively quickly, though, in Ontario with a 11% compound annual growth rate of loans in the last five years. And then to get a better sense of how small Canadian Western Bank is compared to the big six banks, I did a small comparison in terms of assets. And assets are just a good measure. You know, it's not, you know, like it's not necessarily like catch all, but I think it's a good overall measure to just measure the side of the banks because it includes the loans, which are usually a big part of it. And the loans, obviously, banks generate interest on those. So, TD and Royal Bank are the two largest Canadian banks. Royal Bank is slightly larger in terms of assets, but not by much. I will just say that they have $2 trillion both in assets. Um, for some context here, a GP Morgan, the largest bank in the world, has $4 trillion. So it just goes to show how large TD and Royal Bank are, and they are both GCIP banks with our globally systematically important banks. They're the only two Canadian banks that fall in that category. BMO has 1.3 uh, trillion in assets. I think um, I didn't write them, but you have also CIBC and uh, Bank of Nova Scotia that are around a trillion, maybe a bit less, just around there. So slightly smaller on an asset basis. And then you have the smallest of the big six, which is National Bank at 423 billion in assets. And then you have Canadian Western Bank at 42 billion. So it's 10 times smaller than the smallest of the big six. So and about 50, 45, 50 times smaller than the biggest Canadian banks. So it just gives people context on how small these banks are. I think it's fair to call them. I think it's fair to call them regional banks, right, Dan? Pretty much. Yeah. And I think yeah, like Canadian Western is pretty much BC and Alberta. Like for the most part, what is it? 65%, 62% of their overall business. Yeah. So they're, uh, yeah, there's, there is quite a few of them in Alberta. I was saying, I don't notice them anywhere, but they do exist. <laughs> it's like I said, it's a bank I forgot about really. Yeah, and they have a few branches, I think, in southern Ontario, not in the Ottawa region. But um, I did have a while back, um, they have like their online version of a bank, which is called Motive Financial. Oh, yeah. I got them years ago because they offered pretty decent interest rates. Uh, but then we switch over to EQ Bank. But there's the you the user interface is pretty crappy i'll be honest compared to eq and it's not it didn't have two-factor authentication for the longest time so we ended up switching to eq bank but 
Couple more things here. Net income was down 7% to 77 million. Provision for credit losses was 10 million during, um, and which was definitely, which was lower than the previous quarter. They said that the lower PCL was primarily because they recovered more on impaired loans than they had anticipated. They, the net interest margins was 2.4%, which was the highest since Q3 of last year. Deposits were down 1% versus last quarter. It is something that I wanted to check out because it is a regional bank. Their, their total provision for credit losses, so PCL as a percentage of loan, is actually quite low. I forgot to write the percentage here, but it's much lower than the big banks. So I was kind of surprised to see that as something to keep an eye on, but it couldn't make sense because it's a smaller regional bank. Maybe they actually focus more on their underwriting and who they provide loans to. Therefore, they're more aware of the credit risk. And because of that, they don't have to put as much money aside. So that's that's something I found pretty interesting. It's definitely lower than the, the big six. Whether they ramp up those PCL in the next quarters, who knows? But I thought it was interesting to get that perspective. So it was definitely, um, apparently, I don't I don't follow this bank all that much, but uh, apparently it was a, a pretty decent quarter compared to what the markets were expecting. Yeah, and it, like it has, uh, I think it's raised its dividend for 26 or 27 straight years. So, I mean, even during the financial crisis, when a lot of the banks had to had to suspend raises, not suspend the dividend, but suspend the growth of the dividend, uh, Canadian Western still grew it. I, I kind of wonder in terms of the provisions, and this is like complete speculation, I have no idea, but maybe it's just due to the fact that being Alberta and BC based, they might have a lot of oil and gas exposure maybe, which, I mean, the oil and gas sector is doing pretty good right now so maybe that's why provisions are yeah no i i had a look and i don't think they have that much exposure oh to really the oil and gas sector yeah yeah i'm pretty sure i mean i'm going on memory uh, but i remember just um being curious about that because i had the same thought process and i don't think they have that much exposure to it i think they have a little bit but i think that sector tends to um the large banks tend to be attracted. I think RBC has a, a decent chunk and just because they've been getting a lot of flack in the news for, uh, yeah, their for exposure them, yeah. to, uh, to that yeah. sector. Yeah. But no, that, that's still a good question, but uh, overall pretty good quarter. And now we'll move on to Laurentian bank and wrap it up because I know, uh, your throat is probably <laughs> starting to hurt you. So, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up after Laurentian bank. Yeah. So Laurentian has, not had a good quarter in quite some time. So results, again, they missed on both top and bottom lines. So revenue, earnings, net interest margins, return on equity all saw a drop due to, or compared to fiscal 2022. And like, if you listen last week, most of the banks are reporting solid net interest margins, solid revenue, but the only thing is their earnings are declining due to provisions. Whereas this bank is just seeing a decline across everything. So the company's total assets, deposits, and loans all dipped on a year over year basis as well. Not much, but they did drop. And they had uh, they had medium term targets of earnings growth of seven to ten percent, return on equity north of ten percent, and positive operating leverage. And it came absolutely nowhere close to any of these targets. I think earnings declined thirteen percent. Return on equity was, I believe, seven. So I mean, it just hasn't really performed that well. And in terms of the dividend, because I know a lot of people uh, look into the major institutions, the major banking institutions for their dividend. So they have a relatively sporadic payout ratio history. However, whenever you know things are normal, it seems to pay out 40 to 50% of its earnings. So right now they're sitting at 46% of trailing 12-month earnings. So with earnings dropping by double digits this year, I don't really see this company being able to grow the dividend unless they wanted to maintain that higher payout ratio, which I mean, I don't really see that. It would have to have a pretty significant operational turnaround for me to ever consider looking at this. And I mean, I'm not the only one. The company pretty much put itself up for sale in the summer and nobody wanted it. It couldn't even sell it to a major institution or anything. And in terms of earnings, they haven't grown in 15 years. So they reported earnings per share of $3.80 in 2008, and they reported earnings per share of $3.89 to close out 2023. So almost 15 years of no earnings growth. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the accomplishment, to be honest. Yeah. And I don't, I can't go as long as I, as fifteen years. But I think you can see for people watching on Join TCIs. I'm going back to 2014, where it was uh, four dollar fifty per share, and then you have three three dollars and nine per. It looks share. worse <laughs> so on a ten year like, chart. Yeah. Yeah, so the the worst, yeah, like, uh, I mean, it's just not great. I mean, here are the total returns. It's given negative 12.4% over the last five years and then negative 9.32% over the last 10 years. Canadian Western Bank, so they're pretty, I think they're good comps here for Canadian Western Bank, which is pretty similar in terms of asset size. I think Laurentian Bank is slightly bigger, but I think they're both regional banks. So Canadian Western Western Bank has outperformed over 10 years at least. You know, it's not done that great, but it's up 18% and total returns includes dividends. And then you have them over five years. Canadian Western Bank is up 47% where you have down 12% again for Laurentian Bank. I mean, no matter how you look at it, whatever time period, I think it's pretty much Canadian Western Bank has performed better. I'm not even obviously comparing it to the large Canadian banks that I think I've, for the most part have done much better than Laurentian Bank, but I think it's, I mean, the proof is there, right? And they've had some scandals with some underwriting that with mortgages, I think it was in 2017 or 2018, where they sold off to a third party, but then they had to, uh, I think, um, compensate them because they would, the underwriting wasn't done properly and they sold them with uh, telling the other party that they had done certain criteria and it was actually <laughs> not done. I think that's what I, in part started uh, the whole downward trend in, in the recent years. And I think it's also a good lesson for people because it's been yielding in terms of percentage. It's been quite a high yielder for a lot oh, yeah. of the last yeah. five years. And the total returns, I think, show that this is just, I mean, it just shows the cautious, like the how, you know, how cautious you have to be when there's high yield. There's usually a reason why something is yielding very much more than its peers and, you know, you have to figure out whether that reason is warranted or not. If you think the market is overreacting and that there is some upside left for that, of course, it could be a good investment. But I would say the market is more often right than wrong when you're seeing some really high yield compared to a peer. And I think, you know, Laurentian Bank is basically exib exhibited hay over here. Yeah, it's, it's one, well, it is the worst performing, I would call it not a major bank, but out of all the larger banks. I mean, it's pretty evident, like this should tell people that yield doesn't necessarily equal return. So, I mean, if you, if you bought this company 10 years ago, you would have had to reinvest all your dividends in order to lose 9.2% today. So you'd be down about 9.2% and you would have had to reinvest all your dividends as well. It's really struggled. And again, like, as you mentioned, the, the only thing that can really cause yield to go up is either a big boost in the dividend or, or a fall in share price. And when you have something that's yielding that much more than everything else, like clearly, you know, sometimes the market can be irrational, like you said, but a lot of the times it's just due to performance. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the gap between in the last five years, and I just picked Royal Bank just like that, but the gap between Royal Bank and Laurentian Bank in the last five years for total returns, it's 75%. <laughs> so yeah, massive, difference yeah. in returns, which is, it's just massive. I, I think it's just a good reminder for people. Just be careful with those high yield. You know, I know one of our sponsors is Blossom and we'll be doing a a mailbag episode with listener questions, some of them coming from Blossom, some from Twitter slash X, and some from emails. And I know a lot of people on Blossom like to look at these like double digits yeah. uh, yielding, you know, 15% and things like that. And unfortunately, most of these end up in the same story where the dividend distribution gets cut and then the underlying value of the asset or the stock just drops and 
you know, people end up losing a whole lot of money because they got hypnotized by that high yield and didn't look at the actual business, the payout ratio to see if it was sustainable or not. And honestly, when you see something 15%, I would say probably nine times out of 10, you're going to end up losing money because the dividend is going to be cut. Yeah. A lot of those, um, like the, I call them financially engineered (laughs) funds that can somehow provide, you know, massive dividends, especially split corporations. I know DFN is is one of them that hasn't, I don't think it's paid a distribution for four months now, three or four months, just because uh, once the NAV gets under a specific limit, it just slashes the distribution. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it is kind of a cautionary tale. And I mean, this isn't like Laurentian Bank is not a split corp or a, or a high yielding covered call fund or anything. It's actually like an equity. You That's just the bank has just struggled so much over the years. And um, I mean, its yield has gone up only because its price has gone down and its price has gone down because it hasn't grown earnings in, in a decade and a half. So I mean, pretty tough sledding for uh, the smaller regional banks. Because like you said, even Canadian Western is is 18% over 10 years. Like that's, I mean, I think you probably would have been better off owning like a fixed income fund in terms of total returns than even something like Canadian Western. So yeah, it's it's been pretty tough for these smaller regional banks, whereas the major Canadian institutions like the big six have kind of thrived, not so much recently, but over the last like post-financial crisis up until the pandemic, they were uh, pretty much the best performing large caps in Canada, I think. Yeah, yeah, and at least, and right now, I think it's yielding a bit more than 7%. You can get 4.5% on Royal Bank, or you can get 45 I think, around there for National Bank as well. And those, I think, are pretty widely viewed as the best two. Maybe you can add in TD with the U.S. exposure. I think some people like that as well. Uh, in terms of the big banks, maybe BMO as well. But uh, you can get some pretty decent yield from those bigger banks that, you know, I think in our, are in much better shape than Laurentian Bank. Or, you know, just buy some treasury bill ETF that'll be yielding five and a half percent instead of betting on a bank that you know is uh, a value play but has been a value play for a better part of a decade if not more so I think you have to just be careful obviously you know maybe people make an analysis and end up thinking that it's a great turnaround play yeah. maybe it'll pan out but you know I think you just have to be careful and just a just a, a PSA on that yeah. obviously it's not investment advice but I think think more often than not um it's uh, definitely a cautionary tale for people so i guess we'll we'll wrap it up here i think it's a good point to wrap it up the last of the uh, bank's earnings i think i would say we'll be having some special shows in the next couple of weeks for the holidays so we're doing some early recordings because um like everyone else we do like to have some time off during the holidays spend time with our families so we'll be uh doing a recording this week our year in review our bold predictions Dan will be part of that uh, we'll be recording me Braden, and dan so it should be fun a little different format than in previous years and if you haven't given us a review on spotify please go ahead and do it if you're listening to us from there five star takes a second uh apple podcast write us a nice little review share with your fans and family during the holidays if they're looking for an investing show that's always a great way uh, for us to grow our audience and you can uh, follow us on twitter at cdn on underscore investing i'm at fiat underscore iceberg and you can follow dan at stock trades underscore ca or at www.stocktrades.ca thanks for listening everybody it was it was fun yeah thanks a lot everyone and uh, we'll see you soon the canadian investor podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice Braden and simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.